This is the Ignition Show. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to or welcome back to our podcast. My name is Chris Jansen, host of the Ignition Show, where our aim is to create meaningful conversations with switched on people about things that matter. Matter in the pursuit of your potential and igniting the flame within you to live your best and full life. You know, we're getting into that time of year, the holiday season, that is often fraught with paradoxes. We want to celebrate and do things that make us feel good. Let our hair down, raise a glass, and join a holiday party. Generally, eat, drink, and be merry, as they say. Yet often, when you think about it, the process of merrymaking leaves us feeling sluggish, feeling sick or hungover, and generally worn down. Specifically, not for all people, but certainly for many, alcohol plays a big factor in all of that. Personally, I've always enjoyed a few drinks with friends, a a cozy pub on a cold winter's night, or a glass of wine with dinner. Not every night, but when the occasion called for it. But about 18 months ago, I started getting headaches with just a couple of drinks, and sometimes even as I was having the first drink, I would start to feel not so great. And finally, about six months ago, I decided that reducing the frequency of a drink wasn't a sufficient strategy. I needed something more substantial, more game-changing for me. So I committed to not having a drink for the rest of the year. And I haven't. Six months, no drink. And what's been interesting to me is how many other people in my social circles have commented to me when they've learned what I'm doing, I'm not drinking, that they too would like to cut back or even stop drinking alcohol. Maybe it's a reflection of my age demographic, or maybe it's a sign of a bigger trend. So I became intrigued when I was introduced to today's guest, Belle Robertson. Belle is a blogger and creator of tiredofthinkingaboutdrinking.com. In a nutshell, she helps people stop drinking and in turn gain energy, empathy, pride, and purpose. There are so many nuggets for you to digest in this episode. One brief caveat is that my conversation with Belle is focused on alcohol because that is her area of expertise and work. But the insights and principles apply to any behavior change that you might be pursuing. So I encourage you to stick with this and use our conversation as a catalyst for reimagining your relationship and habits with drinking and your overall wellness. If you've been wanting to take back control of your choices, your health, and your pursuit of your potential, this is an episode that can unlock new possibilities for you. Enjoy the conversation. On today's show, we're speaking with Belle Robertson. Belle is the creator of TiredOfThinkingAboutDrinking.com, a blog and incredibly helpful resource for people who want to reduce and eliminate their consumption of alcohol. Created out of her own desires and serious struggles to manage her lifestyle with alcohol, Belle is a very raw and honest voice of reason for tens of thousands of people each and every month. As a sober coach, Belle is unique in her approach of working one-on-one and has directly helped more than 3,000 people take back control of their relationship with alcohol and gain much more life, vitality, and purpose back into their lives. Her efforts have been featured in The Guardian, Good Housekeeping, and BBC Radio. Belle, happy to have you here. Welcome to The Ignition Show. Thank you. That was great. (laughs) Well, you know, I was thinking about um, a good starting point for us today is to define the space that you play in and the type of people that are drawn to what you do. When it comes to the, you know, from my personal perspective, when it comes to the topic of alcohol use, our society has done a great job of identifying one end of the spectrum, that it's, you know, alcohol abuse and alcoholism and don't drink and drive and those kind of messages. But there's a much larger, bigger segment of the population that doesn't abuse alcohol, but perhaps consumes more than they really want to and wants to change their relationship with alcohol or this role in their life. And I'd love to hear your description of, you know, your sweet spot of the people that really resonate with your messages or how you define the space that you play in. 
Okay. Well, it's interesting because when I originally quit drinking, I was a person who had what is called by by Alcoholics Anonymous terms, I had a, I had a high bottom. So a bottom is described as the point at which you turn and make the change. And oftentimes the media or movies will present somebody's bottom as a car accident or losing their job or the sort of stereotypical things that you might imagine. Well, you know, the picture of the person drinking under the bridge, that kind of image. Yeah. We see that on television a lot. We don't ever see anybody say, I think I'm drinking more than I want to. I wonder what would happen if I had none. Mm. What we see is AA and rehab. Yes. And it turns out, of course, that there's a continuum of alcohol overuse. There's physical dependency and there's psychological dependency. And I thought when I started this, when I started writing about it, I really only thought my message would appeal to someone like me which is to say somebody who has high bottom and who quit drinking and felt better pretty soon after and was surprised because no one could have told me that before I started. What I didn't know was that my message and the way I deliver it would be useful to anybody else. And as it turns out, lots of people use me in addition to other supports. So some people use my supports to quit drinking who had a similar history to me. And some people use my supports to quit drinking who've been to rehab. I get phone calls from rehab. Can I work with you when I'm out? In addition to going to AA, in addition to having an addictions counselor. I didn't know that. And I don't think I changed my message in any way, but I continued to broadcast like my version of how I see things. And it turns out to be useful for people different from whom I thought, you know. Mm. And, and, and um, just so we're also talking about the same terms. When you talk about sober, you know, in, again, my in my world, my experience, when I think of sober, I think it's the opposite of drunk. and But it doesn't always necessarily mean drunk all the time, does, does right. it? In the recovery sober world online, sober means not, not drinking. It means none. Because I know sometimes people can get really excited about, but I had only two drinks and I wasn't drunk, therefore I'm sober. And in the sober world, being sober means having none. And then the question becomes, um, what happens when you have none? Uh, and how do you feel when you have none? Mm. There are lots of people for whom having a drink means having four, or having four drinks means drinking again tomorrow. Um, and certainly for me, I felt like I had a voice in my head that thought that drinking was a good idea. It thought that Tuesday night was a perfectly good time to have wine with dinner, but then so was Saturday and so was Wednesday. And I realized that I was using alcohol like lots of people do, to celebrate wedding, mm -hmm. to grieve funeral, and everything in between. Christmas yes. needed alcohol. Um, snowstorms needed alcohol, but then so did a beach. Beach needs alcohol. Halloween needs alcohol. Valentine's Day needs alcohol. Trimming the tree needs alcohol. A boring Tuesday night. And so um, there was a usually there's a like a trend towards using more. And where one drink becomes four and then four drinks becomes a bottle and a half. And then a bottle and a half becomes three bottles a night for some of my subscribers. Um, and what it turns out, what's super interesting is that it's hard to quit no matter where you are on the continuum, whether you're drinking three glasses a night or three bottles, because people love to point fingers and say, well, I'm not like that. Yes. I would never do that. Except that when it comes down to it, when we say, okay, let's do a challenge and have none, uh, it turns out it's hard. It's hard to have none. 
And uh, the person who's drinking three bottles of wine has very similar challenges to somebody who's having two glasses a night. So I don't discriminate at all or usually talk about quantities because I don't think it's relevant. And I don't, well, I've also tried to lower the barrier to entry, like not make it hard. Like this is not a place for this kind of drinker, right? It's a place for somebody who thinks that they're drinking too much. Well, on that point, I want to, I was curious to, to find out your a bit of your backstory, but also the specifically, um, you know, your website is not, and your your the work that you do is not stop drinking. It's tired of thinking about drinking. Why? Why yeah. the emphasis on thinking? Where did that come from? <laughs> well, there's two reasons. One is because it's the lyrics to a really good Canadian song that, if you are a tragically hip fan, it's the song El Dorado. Tired of thinking about drinking. I did not make it up. Okay, but if you're a Canadian, and really that's a small group of people who would get that reference. But for me the problems that I was having with drinking had to do with the thinking because I thought about it all the time. Is it time now? Can I have one now? It's six o'clock. Did I have, did I eat enough? Can I have a second one? Where's the waiter? Do I have enough? Should I buy more on the way home? And then I would get up in the morning the next day and I'd think, okay, that's it. I'm not, I'm just going to skip. I'm going to take a, like a week off and I'd get to six o'clock and then I'd be back at the liquor store. And I would think, you know, what is all this thinking? It's so tiring in my head trying to navigate when I can have some. Now, I thought I was alone with that voice. I thought I was the only person on the planet. I, I mean, I'm a smartish human who has a university degree or three and felt like, you know, I must be like weak or broken or damaged. And it was only when I started to blog myself and to write about what the experience was like of quitting in the first few days that people would email me and say, or message and leave blog comments. This is, you know, a, a while ago before Facebook groups, this was when people wrote <laughs> WordPress blogs. Yes. People would comment and say, I have that voice too. And I'm like, no shit. You hear the, does your voice also tell you that you can quit tomorrow? You better drink today. And it's like, yes. Does your voice tell you that there's no point in having one drink, one drink? Like what's the point in one drink? I only want one so that I can have three. I don't, you know, I don't, when I say I would, I like the taste of alcohol, when I say I want one glass of wine, I don't actually want a glass. I want to drink until I don't want to drink anymore, which means, you know, the rest of the evening. And I had no idea, none, that there was anybody else who had the same voice in their head. And then it was like, holy shit, maybe this isn't me. Maybe this is the alcohol that for some people, it actually gets in your head. And the more you drink it, the more it makes you want it. Well, and, and, and I, yeah, and I, I love what you're saying there because I think whether it's um, whether it's alcohol thing or a food thing or a exercise thing or a work more productively thing, what I what I've found is that when people realize, and, and sometimes it's the most in hindsight, it's blindingly obvious, but people do really think that they're they are alone or they're the only yes. ones that have this challenge or the only ones that have that little voice in their head, and everyone else right. seems to have it all nailed down. But when people realize that they are not alone, that can liberate them in so many, many, many ways. And I know that you, um, it may have actually been in your very first blog post, you mentioned that the thing that you hate most of all is that you can't keep a promise to yourself, right. whether that be to right. skip days or have only one glass or again, whatever the context might be. And so what's been your experience? Is, is, that, is that a common thing that oh, people yeah. hate a lot <laughs> is that they can't? Tell they can't stick to the promise, and they said, "I'm not going to have a drink tonight, or I'm not going to drink this weekend, or at that party I'm going to have one and then walk away, or whatever it might be." Right. Well, I think we what what happens is we realize that we're drinking more than we want to, and then we start to try to make rules, like I'll only drink on weekends, or I'll only drink at special occasions, or I'll alternate every second glass with water, or 
I mean, I did this as, like in my tw- in my late twenties. I went to a party with like three beers and three zero percent beers to this like to the same event to the to this event, and I was alternating them. Now, I mean, to anybody else looking at me, to a sober person, what I what I call sober person looking at me, they would have known that I was trying to manage my quantity because I couldn't count on myself. So I was trying to make rules because if there weren't any rules, I would drink more than I wanted to. Because once you have one, you lose the ability to make decisions about how many you're going to have when you have a head like me. Now, I thought, again, that uh, there was something the matter with my head. I didn't know that just some people's head lights up when it consumes alcohol. And it doesn't – like I don't use the word alcoholic in my group because I think it's a barrier to entry. Yes. Everybody knows about AA and, and rehab. But if you don't think that you qualify for AA or rehab for whatever reason, what else is there? There's nothing else available. Well, yeah, and I think that's such an important thing, and that's why I, I really respect the space that you work in or the, your, your approach because I think there are a lot of people, and I certainly think of my social network and people that I've known over the years. I could probably count on half of one hand the people who I think really could have used some some sobriety yep. help and some AA help, but, the, yep. the, but I could count uh, 100 of people who are socially drink – a lot, or or right. I'd say frequently. Frequently might be the bigger thing. But see, but see, that's just what you see. Y- yes. Like true. I could drink two drinks at dinner, but then I would buy a bottle on the way home. I have left a restaurant before in the middle of the meal to cross the street to a store to buy wine because the store wasn't going to be open after I had my dinner, so that I had some to take home. Right. And I, and again, I know that's sort of if you're not in this space, that seems like well, come on now, get a grip, like for fuck's sakes, just like have one glass and stop. And it's like, yeah, no shit. If I could do that, I would do that. No, I mean, of course I would. And what I didn't know, though, was that in terms of tired of thinking about drinking, what I didn't know was that if I had none, that the voice would stop. Mm. Like it would stop entirely. I had no idea because that's not printed on the bottle. Like it's not printed on the bottle. The more you consume, the more your your head asks for it. And it's not printed on the bottle. You think you're drinking to help your anxiety, except your anxiety is worse when you drink. Nobody says that. Mm. I had no idea. I thought it was calming me down. I didn't know that if I removed it, I'd feel better. And then I sort of feel like ripped off and mad at myself because I didn't know that. But how could I have known it? What do I see on television? Car yes. accident, AA. Like it, the, the, the idea of going online and, and searching, am I an alcoholic? I'd done that. But I had never gone online and searched how I need help to quit drinking. Is there something online and anonymous that would actually support me? And there was, I mean, there wasn't. And then there were a few blogs. At the time that I quit drinking, there were about 15 of us blogging at a, at a regular pace. So some people would come in and out. And, um, you know, you would check out each other's blogs and see how they were doing. And then people would put in the comments. And so there was a larger community, but not very many of us actively writing and staying sober. There were lots of people who'd start and stop. And um, I didn't know how many other people were, were reading and never commenting. Yes. Until I accidentally walked into doing a challenge, so we, which we can talk about, an idea of doing a sober challenge with someone. Like there was just one girl who kept commenting on my blog that she was on day one, day one, day one. And I emailed her personally and I said, look, if you're having a really hard time, why don't you just commit for a shorter period of time rather than forever? Like instead of thinking that you're never going to drink again, why don't you do a hundred day challenge and then see how you feel? 
Yes. And then she goes to her blog and posts that and says, I'm doing Belle's 100 Day Sober Challenge. And I'm like, no, you're not, because there is one. No, you're not. <laughs> but what happened then was a total stranger who was not a commenter, not a poster, not a blogger. Some stranger emailed me and said, can I do your 100 Day Challenge? And I'm like, who the hell are you? Mm. What do you mean? There's lurkers? There's, Of course there are. I mean, of course there's thousands of people reading who don't comment. Well, but I, again, I thought there was only like six of us, right? I yes. thought there was ten people who wanted to do this. Well, who and, wanted to quit drinking, who didn't have grave, terrible consequences yet. And you've discovered that there are tens of thousands of people, if not well, hundreds of thousands of people. God, I can tell you some stories about that. I can tell you that in the in the very beginning, like when I quit, it was 2012, so it's, it's just over seven years. Um, I'm now, I now have a mailing list of about 25,000 people who received emails from me. Now, email is not a normal way to communicate with people, but it's anonymous. A Facebook uh, post is not anonymous. You have to log into Facebook to like or comment. And so I do completely non-traditional. I have an email list and I email people. And if you send content to your list, that's useful to them, you can email them three times a day, which is what I do. And so I have t right now 25,000 people on my daily email list you know, with many others, again, who follow my stuff but aren't committed in some way. And you've mentioned anonymous a couple of times. And certainly when, you know, again, there could be other categories of, you know, the stuff that is personal to people where they don't want themselves oh, to, yeah. to be known that they either, right. you know, trying to resolve this or have an issue with this. But what's unique about you is that you're also anonymous, that we know your name. <laughs> But we right. don't know what you look or what you do. You don't talk about your life outside of your own specific, you know, uh, lifestyle around around alcohol and what you've been doing. So why why are you anonymous? Why don't we know who you are? Well, when I started the blog, I was anonymous because it was the only way I was going to talk about it. Like right. when I started the blog, I was on day seven or nine, and I was as scared as anybody on day seven or nine. And I felt that the internet was a small place because I didn't understand it, obviously. And I felt like my clients or my mother was going to know right away what I was doing. So <laughs> was I thought worse, anonymous. Your clients or your mother? Jesus. Well, at the time too, I mean, I had a re I had a, an online business and I felt like all those people were just going to find me, which of course is just dumb, right? Yes. No, in fact, I ended up having to tell my mother like, five years later. Wow. <laughs> no, but I also don't live in the same country as my parents, so. Anyway, that's an aside. Um, I felt when I started, like I was, when I was writing, I was writing for myself to help myself. Yes. I wasn't trying to help anybody. I was, in fact, getting lots of comments from people either at the same place as me or further along than me telling me that, you know, this, it gets better and watch out for this and this is easier and this is harder. But I, there was no part of me that thought that it would be useful to anybody else. There wasn't. And it wasn't until eight and a half months when I made that offer to that one girl that then this 100-day challenge thing started where I like created a little, little Excel spreadsheet that I still have where you know row number one is me and then I put my date of last drink in today and subtracted to get the total and was keeping track for people. And I thought, wouldn't it be hilarious if one day I you know, emailed back and forth with 100 people doing the 100-day challenge? Like, wouldn't that be Shocking that there was actually a hundred people. Mm. And as of today, I mean, I've, I've now worked one-on-one -on -one with more than 3000 people. That seems really like that's people who didn't just lurk. They didn't just read. They emailed and said, will you be my pen pal? Will you be my accountability partner? Can I email you? Mm. Can you provide me with, and you do it one-on-one, -on -one. you answer their emails. Now, 
why am I anonymous? Um, because also I think if there's a, a lot of sober influencers on Instagram with pictures of them, which then makes it to me, makes it about them and not about the person you're trying yes. to help. Um, but also to protect my own privacy. I've got, you know, 25,000 people watching my emails three times a day. So, you know, it was to protect myself. Um, it was to keep my own personal life out of it. But also I encourage my pen pals to be anonymous with me. And um, also like to, we talk about, you know, who to tell and what to say that they tell as few people as they want to. Um, and they can tell any version of the story that they like, including I found that when I drank, it gave me a headache. So now I have none. I found that when I drank, this is the story that I tell, it affected my sleep. Mm -hmm. So now I have none. Now I'm a caterer. I have to get up early in the morning. So if I have had a couple of drinks the night before, it really messes up my sleep. That's a true story. That's completely true. It's not the only reason. Yes. But it's completely true. Well, I can relate to that as well. And um, in a lot of the work that I do, some of the workshops that I run, we talk about, I talk about managing your energy and how to sustain high performance. And sleep is a big, big component of that. And oh, out, yeah. of, out of, partly out of curiosity, this is probably about two years ago now, I, I uh, was traveling a lot, on the road a lot, run a, you know, fly into a city, stay the night, run a one-day workshop and fly back the next day. And um, I, would en I would enjoy a, you know, a pint of beer at the end of the day. And um, maybe two if my flight was delayed. Uh, but what I started to do is I started to track how many drinks drinks I had, what was a zero to ten, what was the quality of my sleep, and how many hours did I get out of sleep. And mm -hmm. I saw an absolute direct correlation very quickly that if I had zero drinks, the quality of my sleep was probably a nine or a ten. If I had one or two drinks, it was about a seven yep. or an eight. If I had right. three drinks, and um, it was immediately less than a five on the quality of zero to ten. But what I, what my, at the time, my rationalization of three drinks was, well, but it should be okay because it's over four or five hours. It wasn't like right. I was pounding them back before bed, but right. clearly that had an impact. So I absolutely, I absolutely can personally relate and understand the science behind the impact of alcohol in our system. And it absolutely is disruptive to sleep. And if your sleep is disruptive, then everything starts to fall apart. But imagine then that you have a head that asks for it, even when you've decided you don't want it, even mm -hmm. when you have consequences that are small, like affecting your sleep, or consequences that are large. Like imagine then that your head still says, well, this time it will be different. This time it will be fine. It, the only reason that happened last time was because I drank beer. So maybe if I switch to straight vodka, it will help. Yes. And then, you know, there's all of this negotiating. That's the back to the tired of thinking about drinking thing. Like it's the negotiating. Well, maybe if this time I did it differently, I'd get a different result. And so, yeah. So I'd love to, um, I'd love to dive into what you have learned over these years and you're working with people one-on-one -on -one and the kind of questions you get. So, so tell me from your experience, what do you think people fundamentally get wrong about trying to reduce or eliminate? And I, I put the word trying in quotes there, little air quotes. When people want to try to reduce or eliminate, what do they get wrong in their approach? Well, I think, in fact, in the question, there's a misunderstanding, and it's the misunderstanding that most people have, which is that it's easier to reduce than it is to have none. It turns out it's easier to have none mm. than, to have, than to do any of the negotiating of quantity and timing. Um, because when you drink, it creates this voice that asks for more. And so if you imagine like you've got a three-year-old in the grocery store having a temper tantrum and they want a donut and they want a donut and they want a donut. If you give that child a donut, God help you. <laughs> because then every time you go to the grocery store, 
you're going to get, you know, the three-year-old with the donut. This is the same thing. If you have a voice in your head that says, drink now, drink now, what about now? Can I have it now? If you give alcohol to that, what it, it has learned to yell at you. It has learned to yell more. And then the next day it starts all over again. So I think the thing that most people get wrong, which is, well, I don't think I would phrase it like that, but that's the way you phrase it. The thing that people get wrong is that um, moderation is not a solution if you have a head that asks for alcohol. Mm. And if you could moderate, you'd be doing it already. You maybe didn't call it moderation. You maybe called it, I'm trying to quit, but I still end up drinking four drinks a day. Um, moderation means I've got rules and basically they don't work. And, and people feel like if they, feel, if they fail at moderation, it means they're going to fail at sobriety. And that's not true. And you know, that, you've talked a few times here about the voice in your head. And I love how you uh, have identified that voice as Wolfie. Tell us about yes. Wolfie and its manipulative ways. Well, the vo the name comes from the Cherokee story about there being two wolves that live in your head, sort of the good one and the bad one, and which one wins the one you feed. This is the original, that's the original origin. Because I was talking about the voice in my head, and somebody said to me, that sounds like the Cherokee story. This was in my blog. And I'm like, yeah, well, then fuck that wolfie. Like, I'm getting, like, I'm not, I'm not listening to that voice. And uh, it turns out, though, like what I realized from working with people is that what I hear in my head is the same as what other people hear. That's completely non-intuitive. Um, that the wolfy voice says the same things in almost exactly the same words to everybody who has this same kind of head and the same relationship with alcohol. And so everybody's head says, I should be able to moderate if I try harder. Yes. And everybody's head says... If I'm going to quit forever, then I'll quit tomorrow because if it's forever, then it's too long and so I'll postpone it, which is why, in fact, I go under the radar and suggest that you don't quit forever, that you quit for a challenge and then extend because it's easier to say I'm quitting for Lent or I'm quitting for dry July or I'm quitting for dry January than it is to say I'm never drinking again. It's easier to I – mean, it's hard to say that to anybody, but it's hard to say it even to yourself. And I would say even now to me – when my head acts up, which is rarely now because I'm further away from day one, which means the voice has gotten quieter. If I have a moment where I think a drink sounds like a good idea, my answer to myself is yes, when you're 72. <laughs> but not between now and then because I've got stuff to do. So I'm again, I'm not saying no. I'm saying over there. It's over there. Well, and, and a couple of points here. I love what you're getting into here. It kind of, for me, it comes up the, it brings up the, 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 the important distinction when anyone who want to make a change is the distinction between we'll call it willpower versus biology versus neuroconditioning. And certainly when you get into alcohol, the chemicals of that, it does mess with your mind. The, the voice that you hear that tries to either rationalize, justify, or explain, or yeah. battle to say, no, I'm, I'm really not going to go tonight with, with a drink. Um, people think, my experience has been when people want to make a change, they think it's about a, a decision. And if they just make the decision, right. then it should work. And well, you, I and love what you said is that people have rules, but they don't work. In the sober world, there's a certain amount of misinformation that all you need to do is make the decision and have your subconscious understand it. And then you won't crave alcohol anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, that just seems so unfair because then it means to the person who's still drinking after they've tried that, after they've tried this spontaneous sobriety that's supposed to occur, and when it doesn't happen for them because it doesn't happen for people, they think then that they're broken, right? They think there must be something to matter with them. And the idea that you might need a lesson like how to drive a car 
that you might need a bit of theory first, then you might need somebody sitting in the car beside you telling you which lane to be in, how, when to signal, how to slow down, watch for the car in front of you. In the beginning of like navigating the world without alcohol, the idea that you might need a co-pilot or some kind of coach or some kind of support, uh, it's like, no, 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 I should be able to do it myself. It's like, okay, well, can you learn to like swim competitively by yourself? Or do you need somebody saying left arm's a bit higher, right arm's a bit lower? You know, because they have some experience of how to get the best results from your arms and your body. Um, if you're going to go to law school, you don't get a box of books delivered to your front door. You have accountability. You have deadlines. You have assignments. You have stuff to do. And you have to show that you understand the content. And then they give you a degree. Um, people seem to think that you can make a really large change in your life with an addictive substance and that they shouldn't need any encouragement or cheerleading. Or I, accountability. I absolutely love the, the the analogies you made there. It makes so much sense in our in our right. sober brains right now in this moment. Um, but it makes so much sense, and I, especially the point about making a change with an ad addictive substance. And again, right. I think for someone who's listening to this, you know, I, again, my personal point of view on this whole topic is that it doesn't mean that you have to have an addiction or you've labeled yourself as someone who is addicted, but you certainly might have behavior that you want to change. And I think sure. what Bell is saying is absolutely bang on. And I don't, I, 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 I personally, my work, I don't deal with people in this area of, of change uh, with alcohol, but I deal with people a lot of makes want to make a lot of changes in their lives. And I think that's one of the biggest misnomers is that I should be able to do this on my own. Either there's something wrong with me or right. I just feel maybe a bit, weak or childish right. if I need help. But my argument is always, the, you know, the world's best performers, the world's best business people, the world's best musicians all have mentors, guides, cheerleaders, coaches, a support team, whatever it may be. Right. But it's not only for the elite activities. It's driving a car. You had a coach. It's learning to do the multiplication tables. You had a teacher. You had somebody to say, this is due by this day. And then you would go home and actually do it. And then somebody would check with you if you did do it. Accountability. Like accountability is the difference between running a marathon by yourself with a book or signing up for a clinic and going out every Wednesday and you do your other runs by yourself, but every Wednesday you're together. Yes. That accountability means that somebody's just going to ask about you. And like, it seems like that should not work, right? You email a stranger, which is me. I email you back. I check what day you're on. I record it. I, you ask advice about going to your in-laws for dinner. We talk about whether or not you've had enough sleep. It seems like somebody saying how you're doing shouldn't work. It seems like anonymous communication with a stranger in France should not work, and it does. And that's just like completely non-intuitive, right? Yes, yes. People can make really large change in their lives if they have accountability and cheerleading. Because the cheerleading is, hooray, you're on day 10. Not, oh my God, you're on day 10 again. When are you ever going to get away from there? Which yes. is what's going on in their head. Yes, in yes. my head, it's like, you got to see my inbox, honey. I've got lots of people in my inbox who'd cry to have a day 10. You, it may not feel like a big deal yet. It's a big deal yeah. because you're underway. Because when you're underway, then things get easier, right? Like your momentum will start to carry you. You're less likely to want to go back to day one, especially if you're counting days, because those days mean something. They're adding up to something. You don't want to go back to day one just because you have a fuck it moment and drink tonight because there was traffic, right? Well, and, and, and you know, how I often talk about what you're describing here is 
I often just use the phrase, do whatever it takes. You know, if I'm coaching someone right. and, and they have a quirky thing that they need to put a post-it note on their mirror, the bathroom mirror, or they need to, right. you know, write on the back of their hand, a little reminder, do whatever it takes. Don't worry about what society says is, is right or wrong or what other people may, you perceive that people might think that you're weak or you're weird or whatever. It doesn't matter. And no. one of the well, things. Well, and in this, this particular one will kill you if you don't get a grip on it. So exactly. it's not just do, do whatever it takes. It's. You have to do whatever it takes because you need it to stop because otherwise it sucks the life out of you. Now, if it doesn't kill you literally, it will kill you spiritually and make you not proud of yourself. Like yeah. it can – I've seen it. I've had two pen pals die since I started doing this. Mm. The, like perfectly nice people where the life just got sucked out of them by a voice in their head that lies to them and mm. tells them that they'll never get it, that it's too hard, that it's not worth doing or that they're broken, all of which is not true. So what do people typically ask your help with? Like, and I know you've worked with so many people, I'm sure that, you know, the, the breadth of the examples is, is pretty wide, but if you look at the themes and again, just I'm asking this from really from the point of view of someone who listen, who's listening to this, that maybe you can speak to them for a moment of what they might be seeking help with, or as a good starting point, if they want to go on this journey, either with you or, you know, in some other way. I would say the biggest one is you're not alone. And you alone in your head will tell you that you're alone and you alone in your head. This is why we need ongoing support for this. Us alone in our heads will have us dr drinking because that's what we had done previously and historically. That's what our head does. It takes us back to drinking. So in terms of the metaphor of driving a car, uh, our head will drive us back into oncoming traffic. And that's just, it's like a tire that pulls, right? And if you don't keep both hands on the wheel, the tire is going to pull. And that's just the, the construction of the car. Now, it doesn't mean you can't get from A to B. You can, but you got to keep both hands on the wheel. It's not a huge amount of concentration. It's not a huge amount of maintenance once you get going, but you can't fall asleep at the wheel. Exactly the same with driving a sober car. It's uh, in the beginning, you can't tell where you're going. It seems like it takes a really long time. You think no one else has traveled this road before. You think no one else has had a relapse before. You think everybody just starts and it's easy for them. So a lot of what I say is you're fine. You're here. You're doing this. It's fine. Yeah, I'm, but it's day seven, and I feel terrible. It's like that's totally normal. Day seven to nine is often, up until about day nine, is often physically feels a bit un. You'd feel a bit unwell. Mm. It takes a long time for the booze to actually get out of your system. It seems like it should take a day or two, and of course, it takes longer. Um, and you can use the word detox for that if you want, but even just emotionally, it takes a while for your brain to like catch up that you're not just going to pour alcohol on your head to try to regulate your mood for example yes um you know too excited drink can't sleep drink right so it's you know it doesn't matter yes um so a lot of what i do is you're not broken you remove the booze a lot of the problems will stop well into that, so sorry <laughs> you're, 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 going two, down this you're not alone you're not alone and you're not broken and so we talk about you know um a lot of the, the bad things will stop when people do stop or, you know, or reduce or stop. What, well, what do you, what do people gain that might surprise them the most? I'm not going to let you get away with saying reduce or stop. Okay. The results will not come from reduction. The results I'm talking about come from stopping. Okay, perfect. So if you stop, what are the things that are going to improve? Well, your sleep for sure. Um, anxiety generally decreases. Um, probably 50% of my inbox has a depression or anxiety issue, me included. And it's shocking to find out that your anxiety is actually improved <laughs> because <laughs> you think again, like you're drinking to help with your anxiety. Yes. Um, 
But your ability to keep your word to yourself is a huge thing. And your ability to feel proud of yourself is large. Like the average adult doesn't have many ways in their life where they can have a new personal best every day by not consuming a toxic product. Mm. So, you know, like if you're doing a run and you're trying to get a PR, you don't get many PRs and over 50, you don't get any. And so uh, being sober every day I get up and I don't drink. I'm one day. I mean, like I'm, I'm having another personal best every day. Um, but I think, you know, if, if, if there was a pill where I said to you, you're going to spend less money, sleep through the night, argue with your spouse less, uh, spend less dumb money, consume fewer calories and feel proud of yourself. Would you like the pill? Everybody would say yes. And the pill is then try giving up alcohol and see what improves. Yes. It's like all the times you go to marriage counseling and they never say who drinks here, how much. Hmm. It's his fault. It's their fault. How many times did I go to the doctor and say I'm having trouble sleeping through the night? And they say I was like 45. They say perimenopause. She didn't ask me how much I was drinking. It just didn't come up. Uh, remove the alcohol. Funnily enough, I sleep better. But it's not like you know. It's not like that advice is offered. And lots of other things like like and certainly in your work too. All of the goals that people want to achieve professionally. If you're drinking two bottles of wine a night, you have nailed your foot to the floor. Well, on that point, I was just going to ask as well, because something else you said earlier made me think of it is, you know, I, um, as I mentioned to you prior to when we started recording is I uh, am currently not drinking. And it was a decision that I made about six months ago, because for the previous year or so, I was, even if I had one drink, I'd have, I'd get headaches and mm -hmm. something wasn't right going on for me neurologically there. And so I made a commitment to myself. I had my wife as an accountability partner. And certainly every time I make a promise to her, that's extra, extra accountability for me. But I wasn't going to have a drink for the rest of the year. And, it, and there have been various times in my life where I've made a kind of an overnight decision and I've been able to stick with it. But mm -hmm. one of the things I've, I, I've also have struggled with in the past, and, I, and you, you phrased the question very well in one of your blogs that I saw. You, you asked, why don't my higher level goals just automatically overrule the noise in my head when faced with this right. challenge? Right. And I, I can relate to that. It's like, I know I feel sluggish when I've had a couple of drinks or too many drinks um, the night before. I feel sluggish. And I, maybe I, I run. I, I, I'm a runner. I run, mm -hmm. but I, my legs feel tight and I feel a little winded. And I'm thinking, okay, I'll take me a couple of weeks to get back into shape. So I have all these arguments with me that it's not so bad. It'll get better. But let right. me ask you, why don't higher level goals just automatically overrule? Because it's addictive. Like why doesn't, why doesn't saying don't answer your phone, don't pick up your phone, don't check your phone, uh, because it's addictive. Why is it hard to stop cocaine with a higher level goal? Because it's addictive. Why is it hard to give up alcohol? Because it's addictive. I mean they've created a product that basically lights up your head and makes you want more. Yes. And so uh, it's sort of like saying why, is, why can't I just stop my cocaine use? Or why can't I stop picking up my phone? You know, I've decided I'm going to put it on airplane mode and set it down. And how long do you actually leave it like that? Yes. Really, really? That's a good example, 30 yeah. minutes? An hour? I mean, nowadays, can you watch a two-hour movie without touching your telephone? Um, it really, it's – and so – and the answer is why can't I give up my telephone games? The answer is because it's addictive, because it lights up a part of your head that is below reason and below best intentions mm -hmm. and below rules and below logic. I get lots of questions. This, this one does come up quite often, which is, you know, why, why can't I, 
why aren't I? And the answer is add more supports. Mm-hmm. Add in more tools to support so that you don't feel so alone, so you feel more connected, so that you have some some strategies and some ideas on how to deal with the situation and how to deal with if your husband still drinks and how to deal with the roommate who's really pressury and how to deal with your first Christmas and how about getting some advice from somebody else who's already done it. That's different than saying, I'm sure that me alone in my head could logically solve this because I have a pilot in my group. If you think it's difficult to go to AA, then you should be a psychiatrist because I have a psychiatrist in my group who's hired me to be her sober coach because she sends people to AA and so she's not going to go to AA herself. Um, I have a judge. I have a lawyer. I have a, I have a pilot, like I said. Um, I have an anesthesiologist. Um, I have a bunch of midwives. I have a bunch of nurses. I have a bunch of kindergarten teachers. I have a bunch of moms. I have moms with kids with special needs. Um, there's no demographic. There's only a psychographic. There's no demographic. In fact, there's no demographic male-female age I've got a 22-year-old and a 79-year-old. And those aren't just like made-up numbers. Those are real people. Yes. And that's, again, what I, what I very much appreciate about what you've been doing and, and, and your experience and your wisdom that you've gained and is the, the range that you've worked with. It's, you know, yeah. working with 3,000 people one-on-one. You've, you've kind of seen it all at this stage, to be honest. And- well, it's like when I get an email where somebody's talking about their polyamorous marriage. To me, it's irrelevant, and unless it Im- impacts her ability to be sober, I'm not interested. And it has nothing to do with the conversation, right? Yeah. So people will email me and say, I'm embarrassed to tell you that I'm having an affair. And I'm like, honey, that's just not relevant. Are you sober? Right. Like, Because to me, literally, I have seen all of it. Parents whose kids are transgender, um, parents whose kids have committed suicide, um, husband, their husband has committed suicide. I mean, every possible trauma and drama and every possible, um, you know, I've tried really hard and it hasn't been enough. I'm smart enough, so I shouldn't need this, you know, all of uh, every possible thing that you can imagine. And my answer again is, are you sober? What could you do to add to your toolkit to make it more likely that you can stay sober? That's it. I I appreciate you, you listing off those, the experiences that you've had, the people you worked with, because I think for someone who's listening to this, again, I, I certainly encourage you as a listener that whatever your situation is, um, one, you're, as, as Bell said, you're not alone. And your specific situation, your history, your past is not the de- defining factor as to why you can't right. change. And right. I think that and, there's always reasons. And it's not that I won't understand, right? Like yes. I, have a, I have a guy in a wheelchair who's been paralyzed since he was a teenager. Yes. Uh, he has lots of issues in his life and alcohol is one of them. We talk about the alcohol only, and we say honestly that even if he hadn't had an accident, he may still have a head that lights up when he drinks. Yes. So it's okay to say that it's because he's in a wheelchair, but that isn't strictly true because there's, there's sober people in wheelchairs, right? Like it's not that a wheelchair makes you drink. Yes. Um, but I have a woman in my group who has three children, three boys who are on the autism spectrum, three under the age of 11, three, and she is sober. So it's not that it can't be done. Yes. It's mostly that we it's mostly that we don't want to do the supports that we need to help us. It's sort of like saying I want to learn to drive a car by sitting in it and willing myself, willing the car to start when I have not read the manual and I have nobody to tell me what to do. But if I just fucking concentrate hard enough, I should be able to make it happen. Yeah. And then there's the, how much time do we waste and how frustrated and sad do people end up? when they email me and then they find out that there's somebody out there who gets it. And it's like, Oh my God, 
I didn't even know you existed. Yes. And I'm like, I only exist by accident. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to do this either. I well, quit for 30 days. I didn't say that at the beginning. My original intent was to quit for 30 days only. It just turned out to be better. So let's, um, so, so many gems that you're throwing out here. Um, so I want to get into some of the specifics here. You know, we are entering into and already in, depending on what time the person, the listener is listening to this, uh, the the bulk of the holiday season for most people, for most people in the world, uh, December is a time that brings out holidays of various types, regardless of what your religions or beliefs are. Uh, there's a there's a cultural being a culture being swept up by festivities in in most most parts. So we have Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas between now and the New Year. Plus, then there's the whole New Year's resolution thing. So exactly, there's lots of ways to navigate being sober in the next two months. And you you mentioned that if if someone is struggling, if that voice of their own attempt at a voice of reason isn't really being rational or the rules aren't working. You said you got to really up your tools. So I know it's a broad area and I know you've got hundreds of tools, but so help, help the listener out here. What might be some tools they might want to consider or look at? I know we'll get you, we'll certainly uh, send people to the links that you have for extra resources, but where do you start the conversation with someone who's listening to this and says, okay, tell, tell me more Bell. Where, where do I, where do I go? Where do I, where do I begin? I think the first thing is to real again is to realize that you're not alone. And so that may mean being a part of something. Now, you can go to an AA meeting if you want. You can actually do AA meetings online with a, or with a telephone and not be in person. And you can do them anonymously. I have dialed into a call before and just listened to see what happened. Um, it's possible that you can sign up for something like my site where you get daily emails with some kinds of encouragement. You can definitely go to Instagram and search, search for sober and one day at a time and recovery and those sorts of terms and see people doing the same kind of thing. But I think the biggest thing is to not be alone and to hear people talking about the kinds of things that you're likely to come up, come up against, including, you know, like how do you deal with Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving, where people who are not normally together in a room are all together in a room with forced frivolity and you're supposed to all be sunshiny and happy. <laughs> And there's alcohol everywhere, and how do you navigate that? So, you know, that's the kind of thing that you might get from one of my emails. Um, a tool, you can listen to sober audios. There are many sober podcasts. I have one called Sober Insights, but there are many, and I also do um, one-minute messages that are free. Um, probably 80% of what I do is free, so if somebody is on my mailing list, then they will get links to all this this kind of stuff. Um Audio is good. Reading is good. Not feeling alone is good. So that's three. Mm -hmm. uh, declining any social event that makes you feel weird. Mm -hmm. um, taking your own replacement drink. Don't assume that somebody else will have anything other than water. It's okay to have a can of tonic in your purse, <laughs> in your backpack. <laughs> yes. um, uh, arrive late, leave early. Both of those. Always have your own transportation when you go to a drink where people are going to be over drinking so that you can leave when you're done. And not, and if you volunteer to be the designated driver, you're then stuck until the drunk person wants to go home. So I would say, you know, you know, like if we're going to say now how to navigate Christmas or how to na navigate, you know, Hanukkah or Thanksgiving, this is like the short. This is the short version of the yes. kind of stuff that I would send out by email. Yeah, great, great. And uh, a couple other points you mentioned in there is how how do you handle or or what have you found works for people. When a loved one, their spouse, their husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, um, is drinking, doesn't feel like they want to change or is okay with it, wants to be supportive of you, 
but isn't going to necessarily role model what you want as well. How do you, how do you, what would, suggestions do you have there? Uh, I would remind the emailer that they're in charge of the happiness of their own life and that if you, every time you ate green food, it made you sick, you'd stop eating green food, even if your husband ate green food. And so you really don't need buy-in or approval or that the other person does the same thing. I mean, that's sort of like saying, because I run marathons, my husband should. Or because I'm a nurse, my husband should be a nurse. Yes, yes. And you don't require all the people around you to have the same kind of passions and interests that you do. And your passion and interest is in feeling better and of being proud of yourself. And so you remove the shit that doesn't serve you, and, you know, that might be alcohol. So that your husband drinks or doesn't drink or your wife or your partner, um, it's got nothing to do with you doing what's best for you. Well, well it, also, it also points to the fact that if, if that is the situation, <laughs> I, I chuckle at your example of I'm a nurse. Why isn't my husband a nurse? Right. Um, but it kind of points to the fact that um, there's something deeper going on. There's something more below the surface. If you're saying, well, it's hard for me to not drink because my husband orders a glass of wine at the restaurant. I will say to you that that your wolfy voice is pointing external to you for the reason why you drink when in fact you drink because the shit is addictive and you have a head that lights up when you consume it. It's not because of your husband. It's It's not because of the external thing. It's not because he's in a wheelchair. It's not. But in the very beginning, that wolfy voice is very loud and you can't tell that it's the wolfy voice. You think it's you. Absolutely. And I, I, right. I'm so glad you said that. And I'm, yeah. I'm a big believer and you got to start with the inside first. Uh, yeah. it, you can't be pointing the finger at anything else. But for a lot of people, that's, that's a new muscle to develop. It's a new perspective to bring to it. So any, any, what's your experience well, been in having, helping people to navigate more internally than it is external? Well, in quitting drinking, you get a crash course in self-care whether you like it or not because you've removed the thing that you used to deal with every emotion, positive and negative. So you have to learn other ways to deal with your emotions. And and a lot of that has to do with being less overwhelmed, committing to fewer things, going to bed, having a snack, having a treat, all the stuff that I talk about when I work one-on-one with people. And uh, like if you're on day 40 and you start to point at your husband, I will say, wait until you're about day 200. You've got to deal with your own stuff first. And you need to build like a sober foundation if you go back to the idea of a sober car, it's like you've just finished, you know, the driver's ed and you think now that you want to drive cross country. And it's like, well, next you got to do the next thing, right? You need to drive with an L on the back of your car and not drive after midnight. And then you graduate to something. But nobody wants to do process, right? Everybody wants to skip right to the end. Yes. But anyone who emails me and says, my husband X, my wife Y. In fact, I just recently wrote a booklet, like a six email series about this why can't my husband X? And um, generally it's the wolfy voice winding you up to make the problem external. And then you don't have to like actually own your own shit, right? As long as your husband is still drinking, you, you get like a pass. Like, oh, well, I guess I can't help it. Oh, well, I guess I'll have to drink. Uh, it, it has nothing to do with you doing what's best for you. Like lots of people in relationships, one person goes to bed earlier than the other. One person needs more sleep or sleeps better or they're snoring or whatever. doesn't mean your relationship's going to end. It just means that you need to prioritize your sleep. Lots of times in relationships, one person drinks 1% milk and one person drinks skim milk. Lots of times in relationships, one person decides that they don't consume shit that doesn't serve them. And the other person is on their own journey, which may be short or long. Or maybe they don't have a problem or maybe they have a problem and that's why you pick them. The only thing you can do, of course, is to take care of you. I mean, that's really the only option to begin, at least. 
That's um, I'm just I'm sitting back and just listening to your wisdom <laughs> because I think you're saying so many. You're speaking so much truth here, and I I really do hope that you know I know um, I ho I hope that there are some someone listening to this right now who's in fact I'll ask you this someone is listening to this who's maybe been considering you know they've in the maybe the uh, the opposite of Wolfie the good the good wolf has been a little bit kind of talking in the back of their head, like, you know, telling you, you know, you really should make a change here. You know, this isn't really working out. This is, you're not feeling as great as you want to be. You're not achieving what you want to be. You're not showing up as the person you want to be. And it's probably related to this alcohol thing. And it's maybe time to stop. So maybe someone's listened to this. Right. Long, long winded way of saying someone's in that space. They've been considering it. They're listening to this and now they're fired up. And before they even dive into the tools and the strategy and the challenge, which we'll get into in a moment, can you paint a picture? If someone says, okay, I want to do this. Help me understand what to expect. What is my journey going to look like? I know it's different for everybody, but yep. generally speaking, give me the roadmap so I can anticipate the ups and downs, the questions, the challenges, the fear, whatever it might be. Right. Talk to me through that. I wrote a book called Tired of Thinking About Drinking, which is a really original title since that's the name <laughs> of my blog. But I actually wrote a book and there is a section in there called What to Expect as in what to expect when you're expecting, which like based on the pregnancy book. And so day seven to nine, you may feel a bit like you have the flu. It's not, it's not terrible. It's just a bit draggy. Uh, in the first 30 days, you may feel, may feel quite tired as your body is not used to dealing with emotions without alcohol. And so there's a lot of sleeping. I definitely slept 12 hours at a time in sometimes in the first month. Um, there's also a prickly irritatedness, like, why is this so hard? Why does my life suck? And again, it's none of that is permanent. Because really, if it sucked, no one who is sober would stay sober. We only stay this way because it's easier. And then by about day 60, you get to a point where the tired of thinking about drinking voice stops and begins to stop. And you have whole days or parts of days where you don't think about drinking. And it's right after day 60. I didn't know this except... It happened to me, and then it happened to a bunch of pen pals. I didn't know that there was a timeline. It's right around 60. We won't get all magical about the numbers. It's right around there. Go to about day 100, and you've like done three months. You feel quite proud of yourself. If you go to 180, which is six months, you have a completely different view about what you've done behind you and what you can see coming up. Because in the very beginning, to be fair, you can really only see today. You can only see getting through the day. When you get to about 180, you can see the things that you could build in your life with alcohol removed if alcohol continues to be removed, like the things that you could do, go back and finish your bachelor degree, learn Japanese, carve the headboard, bake the cakes, whatever the things are, have to repair your relationship with your partner, repair your relationship with your kid, be allowed to see your grandchildren again. Because uh, I get that email too, you know, can you help me? My husband's ready to leave me. Can you help me? I can't see my grandchildren until I'm sober. Um, there's lots of relationships that are slightly marginally or largely, you know, impacted by overdrinking. Um, when you get to about 180, you get a sense of like, okay, I could, um, I could start to like this because there's some stuff that I could do. If I can continue to be sober, there's some stuff I can do now. Mm. What have, Does that answer the question of what to expect? Great. Yeah, that's great. I, 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 was, I was almost excited to hear you go on beyond 180, but I think to your point, about, to, to your point well, of, of you really can only be in the, in, in the now, in the present. You only can deal with it one day at a time. Uh, there's no point to probably be to go beyond 180, but it's good. It's very helpful to know. Yeah. So you've been... Well, and I think 
in terms of one day at a time, we use uh, the phrase uh, on the site, not today, meaning I might drink in the future. I'm not drinking today because the only time you can not drink is right now. Yes. The only time you're not drinking is now. You can't not drink in the past and you can't plan to, you can plan to not drink in the future, but you can't do that today. Yes. The only thing you can do today is not drink today. And so we actually made up a bracelet that says not today that people can, with the words on the inside so that nobody knows you're wearing it. Okay. And, uh, and well, I also have a bracelet that says fuck you Wolfie with the words on the inside because, you know, sometimes you need a superpower. <laughs> you need a bracelet to ward off super. I also have stuff for boys. Don't think it's all. For boys. <laughs> so it's been, uh, it's been seven plus years since you wrote your very first blog post. And since the last time you had a drink, how is the bell of today? different than the bell of eight, uh, eight days sober. <sighs> I, uh, I just made so many plans for myself that I couldn't keep. I made so, I had so many ideas or things that I couldn't implement. I was, I mean, I, again, I have three university degrees. I'm not, not smart. I suffered badly from thinking that I was terminally unique, that I was the only person with the problem. I had anxiety issues. I had not feeling proud of myself issues. I had not being able to count on myself. Now, I still bumbled along in my life. I had a one-person company, and I used to say I was an entrepreneur, but really I had a one-person company, which is, you know, <laughs> I, was, I, I incorporated, but it was just me sitting at my desk. Yeah. I, um, I struggled a lot with finances. Uh, I struggled a lot with impulse spending and deciding that a leather couch, even if it had to be paid off over five years, was a good idea at 28% interest, that kind of shit. Did you ever have a – you're Canadian. Did you ever have a Sears credit card? Uh, I did not, but I certainly uh, know uh, my parents did. For, for, for did you ever have a Canadian Tire credit card, 28% interest? Uh, the had, Bay? Not, oh. I had a big card, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of misbehavior, I had plenty of that yes. going on. Um, I used to, I was a caterer and I used to get up in the morning and hate my life and hate the work that I had to do um, because I hadn't had enough sleep and I didn't feel good. Um, the difference now is that I, I write every day. I talk to people every day. I've written a book. I mean I compiled my blog into a book but then I actually wrote a book, the one that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, I've recorded 300 full-length podcasts as well as 300 one-minute messages. It looks like shit. Going, you know, there's like stuff happening. There's a body of work just, there, yeah. Well, and again, how does it happen day by day, like one at a time, yes. like any, like anything? It's like, oh, how do you get to be seven years sober uh, by not drinking today, and then doing it again tomorrow? Like, I every so often I have a moment where I think, what the actual, like, seven years, seven, seven years of of saying no, thank you. Um, like I didn't intend to quit drinking. I feel now sometimes like I'm trapped in a happy life. <laughs> okay, which again, like really, cry me a river, right? Like this, you know, <laughs> this is not a real, it's not an actual problem. Nobody ever complains that they have that they're too thin or what is it? Too thin, not enough money, not enough time. Um, when you quit drinking, you uh, it, it resolves a lot of money stuff, and because there's a lot of dumb money spent on alcohol, but there's also dumb money spent on alcohol in restaurants, which is a you know complete ripoff. Yeah. And then there's the shopping and the eating trashy food, even though you just bought a full fridge of good groceries. Yes. But after you had three glasses, now you're going to order Domino's. And then the stuff in the fridge goes bad. I mean, I just did stuff like that all the time. And it just, it seemed normal. I didn't know. I mean, I can only share it with you now with no shame yes. because I've talked to thousands of people who are the same as me. And so I know that to the average Joe human on the street, they'd think, okay, you know what? Get a grip, lady. 
I know that in my world, in my space, this is so common, like really common. And, you know, going on vacation, not remembering it. I've had emails from people to say, you know, they black out from and don't remember their vacations, drunk on the plane, drunk when they got there, you know, arguing, losing things, lose their phone, lose their laptop in security at the airport. I mean, just so if you can replace that with a sober holiday, let me tell you, uh, it feels like Christmas. So you've been, uh, I love all that. Uh, you've been um, a voice of reason to thousands of people. You've been an inspiration and you've been a great teacher for a lot of people. I guess maybe looking in the reverse lens, the 3000 plus people that you've personally worked with and all the other comments that you get on your blog, what have people taught you? What have you oh. learned from the people you've worked with? <laughs> well, number one, that it's not about me. And uh, honestly, in a public way, when you email people three times a day, if you do something wrong, they'll tell you. So if I have an out-of-office message that says, I'm away and I'll be back on Monday, and if I, at the bottom of that I put, P.S., this weekend I'm going to be eating popcorn making a puzzle, I'll get pushback, which says, you know what? I'm on day three. I don't give a fuck about your puzzle. And I'm like, you're right. It's not about me. It's not about me. So I get that now. Again, I will still sometimes say, like yesterday we found out that we didn't get an apartment that we put in an application for to rent, and I was disappointed. I can share that, but I still have to make it a sober lesson, which yes. is I don't drink because I didn't get the appointment. Yes. I go to bed at 7.30 and I order takeout, but I'm not going to drink because drinking will not solve the problem of not getting the apartment. Um, I think I have learned uh, to meet people where they are in terms of being a coach it's not about what I think. It's about what they think and what they're willing to do. And you have to meet people where they are and not overwhelm them with too much information. If somebody asks, it's sort of like sex ed with a nine-year-old. If they ask the question, you answer the direct question. You don't go off into here's what it will be like on day 180. And you don't go off into here's the 10 other things you could, you could know. Because it's, it's sort of a need-to-know basis. And if somebody's asking you a question, especially to do with mental health things, you need to answer the question and not make it more complicated than it needs to be, including you're fine. Is it normal to have really bad dreams? Is it normal to not sleep? It's fine. Yes, that's normal. It's fine. But all people want often is reassurance that yes. they're not, you know, that they're normal. Yes. Um, what have I learned? Uh, a lot of humility for sure. Um, I've learned also that in terms of giving away 80% of the content that I meet more people, I get more feedback I hear from more people. I could send out an email today and say, I'm going to give a $10 gift certificate to the 100th email and I'll get 300 replies. And like people who would just take a minute out of their day to send a message. Now, often when I do that, I'll ask them a question or I'll bribe them. I'll, I'm giving away an Amazon gift certificate today to the person who tells me what subject I should record my next podcast about. I've made them think about it. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've made, and then of course I get ideas. Like I'm not, it's not, uh, it's not all selfless. <laughs> uh, I think I've learned um, that we feel better when we're not alone and that people can make large changes with a cheerleader. And it seems like it shouldn't work with an online anonymous person. And it apparently does. And that's like not something I would have known myself. Somebody had to tell me that. Somebody had to tell me that emailing me was helpful to them. I would not have, like, I didn't just launch a, a webpage that said, hi, everybody, I'll be pen pals with you. Because that would have been me saying that I knew what they needed. Yes. To me, I think in terms of business building, it has to be the reverse. It has to be them emailing saying, 
can I have this group of emails together in one PDF? Can you put your blog in together into one book? Can you record short audios as well as long audios? I don't always have time. I would never have thought of doing one minute messages. Never. I think they're cheesy. I, I wouldn't consume them. Tens of thousands of people do. I didn't know that somebody had to tell me. That's great. You, you, um, I, again, I could just list, listen to you for, for, for a long time here. You mentioned that when I asked, you know, some of the tools, the first thing you said was, you know, some version of you know, get in a group. I know you've got, or get some support. You've got upcoming a hundred day sober challenge. Tell us about that. And if someone wanted to get involved, what do they do? Well, I run a sober challenge all the time. Like there's a place in the blog where you can go and say, today's my day one. And then you follow along with all the daily emails. I also do a version where you can have one-on-one -on -one support with me. But in January, what I'm going January 2020, what I'm going to do is something a little more structured where I'm going to send out dedicated emails about quitting drinking, especially the beginning part, for 100 days starting on January 1st. And so anybody who is on my regular email list will get a notification when this begins. It doesn't mean that you start on January 1st and you go straight through 100 days without a, a reset. It means that you're working on accumulating continuous days sober because it's the it's in the continuous days that things change it's in getting away from day one that things change people often think if they drink for two days and are sober for two days that that's good enough but if you in fact were sober for four you would feel completely different and if you extended that four to 40 or to 100 um so it's not like you know it's not like you have to arrive on day one um already underway and it doesn't mean that everyone will end up on day 100 at the end of it i understand how this works but it's sort of like a, the accountability of having a place to check in. I'm going to set up some blog posts where people can post. Um, I'll be sending out dedicated emails. You know, here's something you should know on day one. Being sober is the foundation. Here's something you should know on day two. You're not responsible for other people's happiness. Here's what you should know on day three. I don't know. Let's make a list of sober treats that you could get to reward yourself for doing a hard thing. And so then people, you know, contribute ideas. So it's a group, but it's not a group like a Facebook group. It's mm -hmm. not people in a closed environment with all of the toxicity that exists. Everything on my side is curated. All the comments are held in approval. I decide what the topics are. I don't approve stuff that's off subject. I'm trying to create a certain kind of experience for people, and it seems to be working. Um, and if I'm doing something really sensitive, like if I send out an email where somebody said something shitty and I want to get people's feedback on does this sound like you? Have you ever sounded like this? Does What would you say? I don't post that on the blog because I don't want all of the negativity, but I'll let them email me and then I'll get 300 messages that I'll look through and then choose five of those messages and then share them anonymously the next day. So it's a, it's a group and it's a community, but it's curated. It's not just a free for all. And certainly if you're a bit introverted, group shit is hard. And if you're if you want to be anonymous and it's embarrassing, then group shit is hard. And if you're on Facebook and you are sensitive to likes, uh, then group stuff is hard. Yeah. So I'm actually one of I think one of the few sober people doing this kind of coaching work who doesn't have like a free for all group. Um, because great. in my just just in my mind, I don't I think there's other ways to do it that are more meaningful for everybody involved. Yeah, and I think that's great. And um, I, I can, um, well, you know already that what you're doing is working. And hopefully that this conversation has inspired more people to not only reach out to you, but also, you know, step up in their own life to take back control of their relationship with alcohol and their and their vitality overall. Before I ask the final question, 
um, give us, you talked a lot about how people, you know, how you support people, where can people get uh, in touch with you and find out more about what you do? What would be the links we want to send people to? The website is tired of thinking about drinking.com. Right. So on that page, there's just a homepage. You put your email address in there. Then you start to get the free daily messages, including introductions to here's the free emails and, or here's the free audios and here's the paid audios. And here's a link of this and an extract from that. But I also share lots of uh, emails that I've received from pen pals anonymously, of course, um, depending on what's going on. And um, probably the website for sure. I'm also on Facebook and I'm on Instagram, but the, but the daily emails is probably where, where the most of what I do is, is happening. Right. We'll, we'll include that in our show notes for sure. So my final question for your time here on the ignition show, Bell, what do you hope to ignite in the world? Geez, you could have asked me that question beforehand, so I had a chance to prepare. What do I want to eat in the world? I think feeling proud of yourself is a big deal. And um, I think that it's worth doing the hard stuff so that you can feel proud of yourself. Because I think when you feel proud of yourself, everything else changes. How you interact with the world is better. Your boundaries are better. You're less irritated by irritating people. Um, you've, you've sorted out some of your own shit. Like, I didn't realize that I would find that person less irritating when I quit drinking. Just didn't, <laughs> there was no relationship to me between she's an idiot and I'm, you know, normal. And I had no idea that when I quit drinking, I would have more empathy. I would say pride and empathy. Empathy for that other people are dealing with stuff, whether they talk about it or not. If you met me in my catering world, you would have no idea that I'm a sober coach, that I do any of this stuff. You might know that I don't drink. Um, but I always have some other kind of replacement drink going. There's usually someone else at the event who doesn't drink. If I'm catering and I'm serving, I serve, you know, champagne to this person and I serve juice to this person. Uh, you'd have no idea. It's I'm not walking around with a poster on my head saying sober seven years. It's wow. my own personal journey. And I think that's also how you are proud of yourself, too. It's you. You're doing it for you. Well, having been on your email list for, for a while now and just hearing the way that you reading about how you communicate and what you share, I can, I can tell you that you, you do have great empathy for the challenges that people are going through. And I hope you are proud of all the work that you've done because you are making a dent in the universe, as they say. And um, I wish you well in your continued uh, success because the Thank world you. needs you and what you do very much so at this time. Yeah, I can't let too much of that go to my head. You know, like they say with compliments, you can't, the, the people who love you the best, you have to take that with a grain of salt. And the people who think you're an idiot, you have to take that with a grain of salt. So whatever, whatever take, works for you, I'll put it out there. You process it in your own you're way. Very sweet. Thank you <laughs> thank for you. your time here today. And thank you for being you, Bell. I appreciate it. Thank you. That was Bell Robertson, sober coach and creator of tiredofthinkingaboutdrinking.com. You can find all the links in our show notes. As always, we want you to get the most of the time you've invested listening here. The show is only valuable if you apply what you learn, and most learning is generated from reflection. So we'd love to hear from you and your reflections about what you learned or found interesting. Join the community and go to theignitionshow.com slash connect and let us know what struck you and what was it that you heard today that you really needed to hear today. You can leave us an audio message or join our Facebook group and participate in the conversation there, where we'd love to hear your comments and follow-up questions. Also, be sure to check out the after show of this episode. It's a shorter follow-up episode where we, that's my wife and business partner Sarah and I, 
Talk about what we learned from this interview and how these ideas have shown up in our lives on a more personal level. As always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave a review on iTunes. It helps others find us and helps us get better. We actually read every single review and comment that comes through iTunes, Facebook, and our website and respond to as many people as we can. And remember, whatever you dream of, whatever you hope for, and secretly wish you had, you're closer than you think you are, you're meant to have it, and you absolutely deserve it. Until next time, I'm Chris Jansen, and this is The Ignition Show.